Nathan, if we're ready, we're going to introduce the sermon a little differently this morning. So, if you will. It's got to be a little louder than that, Nathan. It just doesn't have to say. Okay, that's about all. We have to keep it G-rated. I don't know where the rest of the song goes. I haven't heard it one time, but let's cut it before I get embarrassed. All right. Pretty Woman Project. We're, we're going to go to the book of Hosea today, the first chapter, really in the t- first two chapters. And I don't know if you've ever done this in your Bible study or reading time, where you get in trying to find just one good morsel of truth to expand on, whether in your personal study or if you're preparing to teach someone else. But then all of a sudden you get into this and, and it starts, if I can use the word spider webbing through the scripture, you realize, man, this, there's a lot of truths here. There's more than I really know what to do with right now. And that's really what happened with the sermon. So please forgive me if I chase any rabbits. I've got lots of notes that don't have to be covered in the sermon. I have less pages of notes than normal because of that. I, I, I try to plan for the worst, if you will. But Hosea, uh, Hosea the prophet, so... You know, if you're going through, you go through Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you're going through the prophets back towards the New Testament, and then you come across to Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. And so how how many of you, um, if you were to um, go to a wedding, and as you go in, you know, weddings are a beautiful thing. As a, a pastor, in fact, I'm getting ready to do another one in November, uh, for someone who doesn't normally attend the church, but their pastor is uh, busy when they had it scheduled, so um, graciously allow me, allowing me to do the wedding. Uh, and they do have a connection to our church. We now only, because of the Temple of the Times, we only can do weddings if they are closely related or attending our church all the time. It's in our bylaws now. So um, it's just one of those things. Churches get pressured into doing weddings that they don't believe in doing, and so you have to protect yourself. It's sad because that used to be looked at as a way for us to really kind of outreach to people. They're going to get married anyway, right? They're going to go to the justice of peace or they're going to do this or that. So why not do the wedding? Because I require them to meet with me at least three times an hour each for premarital counseling, which could turn into six times if they're really messed up, but, um, or turn into them going to some professional help if I feel like it's out of my league. But um, so it's good. So weddings are um, a, a great time because it, it's festive. It's about two people who fell in love I don't believe in falling in love. I believe God ordained. If it's a, a God ordained relationship, He brought it together. But but the the festivities and the and the cake and and the the, the you know how the wedding's done, the beautifulness. Now people do different things. We had a wedding here one time. Someone came here and there's hay bales up here and cow cowboy and cowgirl boots and you know whatever floats your boat. But it's a beautiful time. And so you know the bride wears white because why is assumed. She's pure, right? We'll put it that way, mixed crowd in first service. She's pure, so she wears white. And, and so if you wear anything other than that, be like, oh, she's wearing a red dress. Or she's wearing, you know. Uh, but that's, that's the tradition anyway. Whether it really means anything or not, it's the tradition. And so what, what would you think if you go into a wedding and it's like you're walking in, the crowd on one side looks a little different than the crowd on the left. And you're like, what, what kind of wedding is this? this is, there's uh, some rough-looking characters over here, and everybody's dressed nicely, and like, you know, was this planned? Everybody just split down the middle. And you're walking, and you come in, and you find a seat, and uh, there's a preliminary music, and everybody's getting ready. And then all of a sudden, here comes a processional, and you hear and see this. Shout to the heart, and you're too 
Okay. So, so you would think, what is going on here? And it's your buddy getting married to her, and you've not met her. And you're wanting to call him aside and say, hey, buddy, hold on before you go any further. There's something wrong here, you know? That's the music that's playing. That's the way she looks. And it would just really shake you up because the assumption is, what, who, what are, who are you marrying? What, what are, who are you marrying? See, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Now, listen, it's really difficult to turn this sermon into a three-point sermon because there's just so many different meanings in this. But there is one meaning of the book of Hosea, and I'm going to give that to you now. There's one resounding theme that God still loves us enough to chasten us. God still loves us enough to put us through hard times. And guess what? Even the righteous pay for the unrighteous sometimes. Sometimes we pay for the sins of our fathers. People don't want to believe that in this day and time, at that time that's focused only on grace many times, but, but not on God's judgment and His authority. And the truth is, God's character and nature is sometimes we do pay for our father's sins. If you don't believe that's true, do you believe this? Do you believe that the whole uh, LGBT, whatever, XYZ community, that all this uh, approval and push and intermedia and all that, do you think that happened in just this generation? Or do you think that there's things in past generations that begin to allow that to creep in? What I mean by that is you could go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, and I guarantee you that if you were to do a study, and maybe I'll just do that, and to go back and look for little themes and little hidden items. It may not be to do with homosexuality, but, but the open door to live the way you want to live. The open door to who knows the absolute truth. Who, is, who has the right to say what's absolute truth? And you can go through and you, and you find those pathways. And so, so while we in our natural being, in our temporal world, have a hard time seeing God as a fair God, because we can't imagine that someone righteous would pay for the sins of the unrighteous. But we do know in Scripture it was very much God's way for us to pray for the sins of others, for the sins of the nation. And here's Hosea, a godly man, a prophet, who he tells him, hey, by the way, you get to have a wife. Ooh, one thing, a wife of ill repute. And, and it's not, not because of your sins, Hosea, but because of the people you're responsible to as a prophet, to be a prophet of my people, that you're going to go through this heartache because of my people. And so, in verse 2, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, and he told him to take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, kids, listen up. For those of you who maybe uh, shouldn't, but you do have this fascination with the, the, the violence and things and cartoons and all, th this reads more gruesome if you go to the backstory here 
at Jezreel than probably most of the things that you're allowed to watch on, on TV because we've t- the reason I, I'm preaching the sermon because it ties in very closely with the story we've covered before. King Ahab, remember we were talking about Ahab and Jezebel. The prophets of Baal, remember? Remember the prophets of Baal and the altars and, and God burned up the altar, right? Um, his altar, but the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves, did all kinds of things. That was all Jezebel's doing. Jezebel brought this worship of Baal uh, to God's people, in a sense, to the land. And Ahab, uh, it said he was the worst of all kings, right? Of all the kings at that point, he was the worst. He went along with it. And so there's so much story, a backstory to this, because you go back and Jehu was a king who, well, let's do this. Let's just turn to 2 Kings. I don't know that I can really do it justice without reading you a little bit about it straight from the scripture in 2 Kings chapter 9. Now this is Elisha, Elisha the prophet. It starts out now. This is, so this is before Hosea, this prophet, well before Hosea, okay? Meanwhile, Elisha the prophet, uh, 9 verse 1, had summoned a member of the group of the prophets, get ready to travel, he told them. I, I, I like these kind of stories. I mean, I like the action in the Bible. You know, they're doing their prophet thing to the, in their comfort zone of the people like us coming to church. And then all of a sudden their pastor comes to them or their lead prophet says, hey, pack your bags, get ready to go. We're going to go out the streets today. We're canceling service. We're going to go out into the hard places, okay? I've got, we got a mission from the Lord. And so he says to, this, to a member of the group of the prophets, get ready to travel, he told him, and take this flask. Now, what we think of as a flask is, you know, the little... I thought, could I get away with carrying one of those full of olive oil to anoint people? Or do you think people in town would start talking? Like, it, would you be willing to, uh, if I promised to wear a suit coat all the time, would you allow me as your pastor to carry a flask full of anointing oil? With, with, no, I'm... <laughs> Listen, we just got away from the biker pastor thing, kind of. I remember when I first became pastor here, and that was after I took the beads out of my beard and, and cut a little bit. I remember walking into the boot store where they had a little desk for the Chamber of Commerce in the boot store at Centerton. But anyway, and so I walked in, and the Chamber of Commerce goes, oh, you're the roughneck pastor in town. I was like, oh, well, that's what they call me, and I just kind of rolled with it. But, so I don't know about the flask, but, but he took a flask of oil, and, and so he takes this plastic of olive oil with you. Go to Ramoth Gilead and find Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Call him to, into a private room away from his friends and pour the oil over his head. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You know, when God asks you to do things like, hey, okay, so I, I'm going to tell one of you guys, hey, I need your help with a project we're doing. See, there's this place in town that I need you to go deliver a message from the Lord. And so you're going to take this oil to go anoint this dude and tell him that he's the new guy for God, you know. But when you do, I'm just going to tell you, keep the door cracked open, grab it, and run. Hightailed out of run for your life. You're going to be like, okay, okay, all right. Uh, you want to tell me more what's going on here, or are you just going to throw me out to the wolves? And so, um, open the door and run for your life, exclamation point. So then the young prophet did as he was told and went to Ramoth Gilead. Where he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting around with other army officers. 
So I'm a picturing, if this is today's time, just because I like that group and I talk about them a lot, but I'm a special forces guy sitting around. They're the bearded, sunglasses, scary looking. They're, they're, uh, they're, uh, there's a cricket crossing the trail right there. So, yeah, get him, son. Now, see, I would have ignored him, gone on, but if one of you ladies started jumping because it went on your leg, then it'd be a false Holy Spirit we're worshiping for a minute. People think we got the Holy Spirit going in here and it wouldn't be real. It's like, uh, what's his name that did the Mississippi Squirrel? Um, anyway. I, I'm starting to get like that cartoon where the dog keeps getting distracted like squirrel. All right, let's go back to the story. So he runs for his life and he goes and here's the special forces guys and they're sitting there just looking and here he comes up, right? And these guys, they're close band of merry men, right? Um, hardcore meat eaters. And so... Um, Young prophet did as he's told and went to Ramadan. When he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting around with the other army officers. And I have a message for you, commander, he said. This is a leader. For which one of us, Jehu asked. For you, commander, he replied. So Jehu left the others and went into the house. Then the young prophet poured the oil over Jehu's head and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy, listen to this, you are to destroy the family of Ahab. This is what God is giving the commander orders. He didn't pick him randomly. This is a commander of hardcore warriors. I'm, I want some bloodshed. I know that messes with some people's theology of their God, but, but I want you to destroy the family of Ahab. But remember who Ahab represents and Jezebel, you, Ahab your master. In this way, I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. Verse 8, the entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. The entire family of Ahab. Keep that in mind. Remember that family. The family of Ahab. I will destroy every one of his male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will destroy the family of Ahab as I destroyed the families of Jeroboam, some of Nabat, and some of Basham. Basha, son of Ahijah, that's how I pronounce it. Dogs will eat Ahab's wife Jezebel at the plot of the land of Jezreel, and no one will bury her. He's saying, listen up, kids. He's saying the bad, evil lady, queen lady, they aren't going to be able to bury her because God's going to allow dogs to eat her. I just know a little gross, this might help you pay attention. All right, so... Then the young prophet opened the door and ran. Smart guy. Jehu went back to his fellow officers, and one of them asked him, I love this, what did that madman want? Is everything all right? Oh, you know, a man, a man like that babbles on, Jehu replied. You're hiding something, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be king over Israel. Then, then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. Okay, so for time's sake, I'm just going to tell you, then this bloodbath starts. I mean, I mean, if this was Lord of the Rings and we're watching this as a, as a movie, I mean, it's gruesome. First of all, there's 70 sons of Ahab, and, he, and they're all living like in Samaria since birth because these are all just, you know, children of whoever, you know, Ahab was a king, so there's lots of children and, and lots of sons. And Ahab, or, or Jehu, Jehu, see, I keep thinking the word Yahoo in my head. 
That Yahoo. No, Jehu carries out the word of the Lord, but he goes and he has their heads taken off. And then he has them come back and at the front of the city, he has them piled in two piles and left till morning. And then comes out and confronts people. And then he goes on this rampage. He doesn't just kill the family. He kills friends and any close associates and any advisors. And it's just the, the numbers of people are heaped up and heaped up. So I tell you the backstory because what did God tell Jehu to do? Destroy Ahab's family. What did Jehu do? His family and then some. He got a little overzealous and maybe was a little bloodthirsty as a warrior and is like, I've got free reign from God Almighty to take out everybody. And he's just, he thinks I'm doing a good thing. But here's the thing. All the way after all these prophets, we go down to Hosea. And when you get into Hosea, When you get into Hosea, I'm sorry, let me get turned over there. Hosea chapter 1, verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblam, and they became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel. Remember where this happened at? Where, where the bloodshed happened at? The prophet Jezreel? Okay. Name Jezreel. For I am about to punish King Jehu. Now wait a minute. Didn't God tell Jehu to do that? But I'm about to punish Jehu. And it says, I'm about to pay, uh, punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Some of you say uh, break uh, Israel's bow. And in that time, there's nothing more useless and more um, uh, vulnerable than a warrior with a broken bow. And so... That's why I use that language, but he's going to dismantle the army. And so this punishment, but doesn't that seem a little bit petty of God? It's like, you told him to go take, a, a, you know, take all these lives of the family. I mean, 70 sons and the rest of the family, that's a lot of people just for the sons. And, and you're going to nitpick him over him taking care of other people who are connected with him. But God is a God who we don't, you know, I've been, uh, believe, I believed a lot of my life that we carry the same authority as God does. We do to an extent, but we have to understand, like anything else, our money, our jobs, our possessions, we are stewards of God's power. He is still the giver of the power. He still holds control of the power. And when we abuse the power, I've said this many times, it ties right into it, when people say, you better use your gift for God or he'll take it away, I don't believe that one bit. I believe your gift either is a blessing or a curse. God's gifts are so perfect. You take a, take a reference to, um, was that Guns N' Roses? A shot through the heart or who cares but anyway talent yes I mean to get the crowds the money the fame everything they did talent yes were they using it for God no how many of those rock stars end up you know uh, drugs the life's ruined the money uh, you know lottery winners you know you gamble this and that you can see it all over it's a God principle it happens over and over his gift does not leave you you can use it for his purpose or use it against him but if you do something wrong you're gonna pay even if God forgives you, there still can be consequences. Otherwise, Moses would have got to go to the promised land when he, all he did was strike the rocks to speak to it. Now think about Moses for a minute. What was in his hand that he struck with? Staff. How did that start? Here, you've got to understand, Moses, remember, baby in a, in a river floating, right? Gets brought into a, king, a king's family, right? Royalty, get raised, until... He takes care of an issue, maybe in the wrong way, but he kills an Egyptian who is beating his people, and that causes separation. And what does Moses go into? A trade of, 
you know, he's going to be shepherd and he's working the fields and he's doing these things. And the staff comes into the picture. And it's like when God meets him at the burning bush and Moses is like, I, I don't know if these people will listen to me. What if they don't? What if they, what if they don't listen? What, don't we do that a lot? God, you want me to do what? What if they don't? You want me to go talk to this Jehu, this Yahoo guy, and run for my life? What might happen to me? What if I don't run fast enough? What, what if I trip and fall, God? What if there's a rock at the door? I trip and fall. And, and the guy I'm supposed to run for, I can't follow your purpose because I'm clumsy and I'm not really well-equipped, so why don't you send somebody else? But that staff, what does he do? He throws it down becomes a snake, right? And, and that's God's proof that there's a mighty God, that his people, right, should understand that God will deliver them. That's the sign God gives. But God doesn't always give a mighty sign like that. But the staff, then what does the staff become when he goes to the waters, right? A pathway for exile, or to get out of exile, or to get freed from bondage. But then there's a rock. And he strikes it instead of speaking to it. He's so used to using the staff. The staff does everything. I've got the magic staff. In fact, I bet you he used it so much, he, he got so personally intertwined with the staff, I bet you he named it. I bet you did. I, I bet you he named it Rod. <laughs> and so, anyway, some of you are like, I don't get that. But anyway, so... But then all of a sudden, God gives him different specific instructions, and he doesn't follow that, and Moses strikes rocks to speak to it. And now the staff has become something that is kind of like a curse to him because, hey, this was what worked all the time, and, and I'm just used to doing this or this, and now you're saying do this, and I already told you I stutter, which a lot of people believe that Moses stuttered. That's why he talked about I, I'm not someone who can speak well. And so now, God, you're, you're confusing me. It's like you're... You're caught up in too many of the details. One thing we teach our kids, I've said over and over, is the reason you go through 15 minutes of me berating you over missing a small detail that I told you in this situation is because if you're bicycling towards a cliff and you get in the habit of not taking my words seriously as the one who has been charged to protect you and guide you, then it'd be your demise that you didn't listen. See, See, God's point is not to be the, this authoritarian, you know, I've got you like this, and you'll do everything I say to the T. He's like, if I don't keep you trained at all times to listen closely and follow exactly what I say, then one degree off, Satan's just waiting right there to mess you up. And so it's very important to God that we follow everything he says. And Jehu, who, who did a great service for God because Ahab and Jezebel were responsible for leading so many people astray and deaths of so many and killed prophets of God, but the guy that carries out that mission ends up getting punished too. His camp, because he didn't do exactly what God said. He did it with cruelty. And see, isn't that just an indicator to us that, that it matters the attitude in which you carry out God's orders? It matters the attitude. You, you guys are getting so sick about me harping about, about Facebook and stuff like that because I'm on there. But, but listen, I'm telling you, if, if the devil provides an avenue, something that is guaranteed to be a stumbling block for many, and it's continuing to trip up the church, then every pastor needs to be teaching the church that you've got to watch out for these things. And Facebook by nature is not evil, I don't believe. I don't believe that a brick is evil. I believe you can pick it up and throw it through a window like Dave Ramsey says, or you can build a church with it. It's amoral. So I don't think 
Facebook is evil. I think the users could be either evil or use it for good. And it matters the attitude in which you carry out God's plan. The attitude in which you respond to the homosexual community matters to God. You can do it with kindness and the character and nature of God, with certainty of what sin is but love for the sinner, or you can carry it out with cruelty and you will pay or your children will pay or your children's children will pay. But there is resounding effects to us not obeying God wholeheartedly. And so it's very important, this shows, this is very important that we handle God's matters that he asks us to do with a complete obedience. God doesn't give us authority, he makes us stewards of his authority and we have to emulate God's character and nature in how we obey him and when we obey him. It matters. Verse 6, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ramah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Some uh, theologians will um, say that that means without love. Some will say uh, no pity. Basically, no pity, no love for this child. Now, how horrible is it for this child that their name, you know, there's some names I've heard that I'm like, oh, Lord, what, your parents hate you? Do they, your parents just have disdain for children? Maybe they should not have kids. I mean, why would they name you that, you know? But, but lo, you know, you're not loved. You're not pitied. And, and so this is an indication from Scripture, and almost all theologians, I believe, uh, would agree that that means this child was born uh, illegitimately. This was from another lover, from infidelity in the relationship where Gomer went outside of the marriage. So, call her Loma. Gomer's another name that in this day and time, if somebody named their daughter Gomer, especially when Gomer Pyle was at the height of his, Lord, punish those parents with the same injustice as they just gave their children. Um, so, this was a child uh, of ill repute. It's terrible to say that, but, but this, is, this is the truth about God. And this is where I'm afraid sometimes as a church that we lose uh, the full gravity of the character and nature of God. You want to know why people aren't running into altars anymore? I think because we've watered down the gospel to make them believe that God is never a God of justice. That there's only grace. And, and there is grace when you've received grace, but when you don't receive grace or you go against God, guess what? Why else would you think that ISIS deserves God's wrath? Do you believe that? Do you believe ISIS deserves God's wrath? Okay. But if they want to come to know Jesus, would you be all for them coming to Jesus? Would it be because you want them to have a relationship with God or because uh, you solve the world problem? Or because they can't be cruel anymore? You, you see, it matters how we, it matters our worldview, how we see it through the lens of Scripture. So in other words, you need to want people to come to the Lord for the right reasons. And, and that's because your heart will get trained to respond to people. Remember the previous message? I'm losing track, Wednesday night or Sunday. But I said, when you talk badly about people, you will end up treating them the next time you see them the same way you talked about them. It would just be kind of a hidden agenda. You, you can't help yourself. And you'll never be able to treat them better than the way you talked about them before. And, and so this comes into perspective when we talk about the fact that God's people have forgotten him. They have run after other gods. 
God's prophet Hosea, a godly man, God has said, now you're going to go through this because you are going to set the example for the people. They're going to see a godly man have to take this wife of ill repute who keeps them running off with him, having children by other people, which is more horrible in that time than we would even, would be less accepting than it is now, and do all kinds of things that bring shame. In that time, priests weren't supposed to marry people like that. And it's not an indication that he was a priest, but there is indication that possibly his father's not talked about a lot, but he is probably a son of a priest. So think of the pastor's kid marrying the local prostitute. Okay? And then she keeps running around on him. How many would be giving him advice? Just leave. Just leave, leave her, honey. Leave her. You don't have to take that. The Bible says. Leave her. Right? But God's purpose was greater than his shame. God's purpose was greater than his dignity. God's purpose was greater than Hosea's purpose. And Hosea was totally surrendered and did as God wanted. And so it was for the purpose of the people. There are many times as a leader, spiritual leader, or as someone going out and sharing the gospel, that you'll be asked of God to sacrifice your dignity, to sacrifice and, and be humiliated for the sake of Christ. Count it for joy because he's probably trying to reach his people through you. And so this second child, not loved, illegitimate, And so we go on. But here's the interesting in verse 9. Then God said, call, there's, I'm sorry, let me back up. Um, verse 7, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Will save them by the Lord their God. And will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, because that's what really spoke to them. They're tired of getting kicked around and being in captivity, and they rarely see it until it's too late that, it's because of their own sin. But he's saying it's not going to be with the sword or battle or by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lohaman, this is like fast succession. She just had a child outside of marriage, Lohaman, and she conceived and bore a son. And then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, is what it means. I'm not your God. You're not my people. Now that that's... I think I would rather take not loved as the meaning of my name than I am not God's. For you are not my people and I will not be your God. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Is this a bipolar God? What are we talking about here? You're punishing your people at the same time saying it'd be okay? It's like, hey son, um, you're not supposed to be doing that in church, so uh, I'm taking away, oh wait a minute, go ahead, do some more. Wait, no, do some more. No, you shouldn't be doing that, you should listen. So anyway, but, but here's the thing. And then God would get you for that. Uh, sometimes there's abuse of power up here, I understand. All right. God's talking to his people in the same way as we, as we focus so heavily on the cross as we should, as redemptive. God knew before Jesus would come and offer redemption, that people who had no hope would have hope. And in this instance, he's saying, you, you messed up, I'm going to punish you, but my plan is still for you to be my children I, I, I may have to use a different method. I may have to use something. But, but one day, I'm still going to be... I'm, 
What he's doing is he proclaims his victory. We know all the way to the book of Revelation, he is victorious, right, in the end. And so he's saying, listen, it's like us parents. We, we discipline our children for good reason, but we still love them, and it doesn't diminish our plans for them. I dream for my kids. I mean, there's the selfish and godly ones, like you're going to be rocket scientists, and then I can't ever be rich on my own means, whether I'm a preacher or not. I've tried, I can't, and so you're going to do it for me. But... Have those? No, the real ones are, you're going to be mighty men of valor. I don't care what occupation God calls you into, everywhere you step foot is going to be your land. God's going to give it to you. Because I prayed, do greater in my own kids than you've done in me. In in increase our land, Lord. Increase our name. Increase, because I believe God is a God of generations. He's, he's a God who loves when his people chase after him and teach their children to chase after him. And then he loves to build on what the father did. And, and so we see that because Moses got punished. He couldn't go into the promised land. But then Joshua, Joshua, a whole different kind of leader, leads them. And, and while it wasn't his, you know, we, it's not always your son, but, but God has a succession plan. And so in this instance, God is saying, you're not my people, but there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. So it will be professed that you are my people, but right now you're being punished. And I don't want to be known as your God right now. Then the children of Judah, verse 11, and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then we get into Hosea 2.1. Say to your brethren, my people and your sisters, mercy is shown. The book of Hosea is about love. It's about redemption. It's about restoration. And this story is about God who loves his people, even when we've lusted after and gone after other gods. And listen, it doesn't have to be a little idol sitting on your mantle that you have a name for. You don't have to have a staff you call Rod and bow down to Rod. You know. but, but the truth is, as we are many times like Gomer, and we chase after these other loves. We, we chase after things that become our loves. It can be a job, it can be a family member, anything you put before God. Remember God said to the one that wanted to follow him, but they wanted to go back home and say goodbye to the family first, said then you're not worthy. He wasn't trying to be harsh, he's just saying, look, in your heart you're not ready because with me you have to be ready to abandon everything else. Abraham, you have to be willing to sacrifice that son you wanted so badly, you have to be ready to give up everything for me. And I have to daily ask myself, I walked in to my office this morning with the same question in my mind. How much am I willing, how far am I willing to go for you, God? Am I willing to give up everything? This thing about the building project and raising the funds, I had something kind of in my heart that I thought, you know, if that's not God, then I'm really going to ruin myself financially. But if that's God, I need to do it. And, and, and the bike is still, by the way, I got my stuff to get my bike ready to sell. And that's one thing. And I love that bike. I now pass it. I cleaned up around it. It used to be piled with stuff, so I didn't see it. And now it's cleaned up, and I see it. And that became an idol at one point because I couldn't imagine ever giving that to God. But when that's gone, what will it be? When that's gone, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up something else. It's our nature to want to... The, the children of Israel weren't happy with having God as their king and judges. They had to have an earthly king. It's our sinful nature wants us to have something tangible we can see and feel that is our idol. And so we're so hard sometimes in our minds about the children of Israel uh, being so fleeting and, and, and going after false gods. But the truth is, as we go after false gods all the time, 
But the book of Hosea is about love, redemption, restoration, and, and God's love for his people, his undying love. He loves him so much that, he, that every time he has to expose their sin and declare the consequences, they will suffer. He follows it quickly with promises to save and restore them. You know, son, you messed up and I am disappointed. But I love you and you're still going to be my son. You're, you're still my child. You'll still be my child because I will win in the end. One day you'll grow up and believe that I actually am smart. And I know what I'm talking about. It goes on, um, you know, we, not to just reiterate, there's, there's a couple of things I want you to know in closing and, and um, time got away from me. Gomer represents the unfaithful nation of Israel. We can see that as unfaithful Christians. But then we also can see that God punishes those who are unfaithful to him. The first thing, Gomer represents the unfaithful nation of Israel and unfaithful Christians. Secondly, God punishes those who are unfaithful to him. But three, God wants unfaithful people to turn back to him. That's the point of every story that God begins to write, whether it be in Scripture or what he's writing about your life now. But he wants unfaithful people to turn back to him. Verse 5, afterward, the children of Israel... I'm sorry, let's jump ahead. Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. God has promised to restore those who repent. Spiritual truth does not change. Cultures change. People's belief in the scripture change, but God never changes. I don't believe that anyone in our church at this time, I know anybody who, who will buy into the fact that, that our belief in God should evolve in the sense that things that were once in, we should maybe say, maybe we, maybe we didn't understand that correctly. On, on, core, on core principles and values. But, but we do need to understand that the way we carry out His Word, the way we deliver His Word, it matters the attitude in which we do it. It matters the attitude because those people who you want to just cut down with words on Facebook or whatever, God is saying, I still created them. I meant them to be my child. And I've, I've given you the job to go carry out my word and compassion. But you did it with cruelty. You, you did it with vindictiveness. You wanted to be the vigilante. And I'm not asking for a vigilante. I'm asking for justice. And, and justice is that we take back what the enemy stole from us. And that other person could be a brother and sister in Christ that you learn to grow and walk with, but instead you decide to let the line be drawn and you'd like to be like Jehu and just carry it out with cruelty and just say, I just want to cut them off, Lord. Jonah had the same problem with the Ninevites. This first chapter of Hosea has two more verses. Verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. God's promises, hope. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Verse 11, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. In other words, that place where there was bloodshed, God's people, 
died. And then there was more bloodshed of the enemy. We're all this bloodshed. And we're saying, God, how can you be a gracious God in this world full of war and violence and cruelty? And God says, be patient, my children. Yes, I have to punish sometimes. Yes, I have to bring punishment to you as my children and to those who are enemies of God. But the goal is still the same, that we all be together in eternity with Him. That not one perish, but all have eternal life. Christian, you can be encouraged today. God has made these promises in the New Testament. He has said them to you. 1 Peter 2, 9, through 10, 9 and 10. But you are cho- a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He's talking about us. He calls you the people of God. Your acceptance with God is based on the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross, not your own works, but of what Jesus did on the cross. Do you need to repent of acts of spiritual adultery? Have have you let your heart become like Gomer's where God has given you an extension of grace and mercy because she married a godly man, a prophet. Think of the life that was uh, afforded to her then. Now God was used it for a purpose, but think about Gomer for a minute, what she had available to her. There's not much mention of her dad other than the fact that it, it seems like very quickly she was given over without any kind of stipulation. He's probably glad to give her up to get rid of the shame of the family. And she had this this man of God who had a great reputation, who she had the chance to rise up out of her muck and mire. And isn't that the story of us? Many times we have the chance to rise up out of the muck and mire of our lives that we've chosen for ourselves, that we brought on ourselves, or that we've allowed us to get uh, enslaved to. And God's given us an out. He's given us a place like this to come together and to do life together and rise up out of the problems we have. But we choose to leave this place and go back to our problems without the support and all the resources he's given us right here. People who you'd never know have a similar circumstance or have the Lord working in them to speak to you, but you go back and you take on yourself and you carry your problems right back out the door and you don't leave them at the cross. You don't let God use this institution he's put together, this community, to bring you up and rise you up and encourage you. And Gomer followed the path that God knew she would, and and so it was to be an image of what God's people was doing to God. The bride of Christ, who instead decide to walk down the aisle to shot through the heart and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. Sometimes we're rather party in our sin and get married to our sin and continue our sin when God has given us a holy union right before us to bring us out of it. The children of Israel, they love the things of this world instead of being the church. They were doing other things. Jesus still loves them, but they still paid. Jehu's camp still paid because God is God of his word. So this morning, the one and only thing that you need to leave with today is this. God loves you, but don't mistake his love 
as the kind of parent who doesn't love his kids enough not to punish them. It's an uncomfortable thought to think that I, I could be in danger of God's punishment, but listen, if I willfully keep walking away from what he's told me to do, son, I'm telling you, you keep riding your bike too close to that cliff, and it's you that will pay, not me. You're mad at me for always telling you what to do. God, I get kind of tired of feeling like your word just beats me into submission. I get tired of feeling like the Holy Spirit's just always nagging on me. I get tired of that. And God's saying, yeah, but you keep bicycling too close to the edge. You keep pushing your life too close to the edge. And you don't want to listen to me. You want to tickle your ears with whatever feels good. I tell you the hard things because I love you. And I bring punishment sometimes because I love you. So the question is, do you want a good heavenly father who knows what he's doing? Or do you want to be a spoiled brat who ends up just saying, God, I'd rather just do what I want to do. And that's what the children of Israel did. I'd rather do what I want to do. I'd rather, they, they were starting to let, you know, give thanks to the gods for their fields and their other things that God had provided them. They were starting to give thanks to these false gods, these dead gods, these unexistent gods, for things that God had done for them. How quickly people who had a great history, a great heritage of what God did for them, they forgot so quickly. And no matter how you grew up, or where you've been to your spiritual walk right now, it's just a degree off sometimes. We, we lose touch with God and we begin to make decisions that keep us too close to the cliff and we forget about the things he's done for us. And it leads us astray. Jesus, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we believe that, Lord, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. That, Lord, it's, it's like the surgeon's scalpel, Lord, that, that can go between tendon and marrow and bone and, and do surgery on our spirits. And Lord, we may walked in today feeling pretty good and saying, you know, I, don't, I, th I think I've got it all right with the Lord, but, but what are those things? If, if it's so easy for the children of Israel with such miraculous things happening uh, for their parents and their grandparents and their forefathers, if it, if it was such a great story, such a great heritage, Lord, I grew up in the Pentecostal churches. I know what it's like to to have your spirit moving. Lord, I grew up in the Baptist church. I know what it's like to just really dive into your word. I grew up in church, Lord. I grew up in this. I grew up in that. And, and my grandparents, you got to understand, I have such a great base. I have just a great foundation. That, and so did the children of Israel. But, but where's your heart today? Has it become easy just to say, yeah, God's one of my gods. He's my God on Wednesday and Sunday mornings. And when somebody starts talking to me about him, but then when I get to that TV show I want or those things that I want, and, you know, I forget that that TV God has provided me through the job he's provided me. I forget about all the things he's provided. I begin to use the things that he's given me against him. I begin to use the talents he's given me against him. And then when things go rough in my life, I'm like, well, devil, devil's after me. I must be doing something right. And... We get all these quirky things to say, but, but Lord, we know the truth is sometimes we're just disobedient children who need a good spiritual spanking. And, and God, we have to be good with the fact that when you do that, you still are going to call us your children. You still know that in the end you win, that you have not, you're not abandoning us, Lord, but you have to bring harshness sometimes to say, I'm protecting you. I'm pulling you away from the cliff with heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm just going to, I'm not asking you to respond with your hands up. I just don't want any distractions. 
But I'm just going to ask you, be honest with yourself and with the Lord because it doesn't matter right now what I think, but with the reflection against God's Word, which is a mirror of our lives, is there things in your life that you're letting become idols, that your true love of Jesus, it's you, you become that harlot and begin to chase after other things. If, if you say yes, there is that thing or there is those things and I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to pray right now for myself and for you that God will deliver us. Lord, help me and help those who say this is where their heart is. God, there are things who, that, that become idols, Lord, to me. There are things that I, before I know it, I've let it slip in and, and come between me and what you've asked me to do. That, Lord, I don't often stop and think about when I'm not being completely obedient. But God, yesterday, as I prepared for this message, God, you started revealing to me and showing me things in my own life, Lord, where I have had idolatry, God. Not a little statue with a name on it, but there are things I've made more important than you. Some of my own wants and desires and goals, Lord, I've let come before you. And I repent right now, Lord. I repent of those things. And I ask you that as I leave today, God, that you will help me and help others, God, to turn and realize that you've provided a Hosea in our lives. That God, this, whether it be new song, this church, or God, whether it be a person in your life, you provide a Hosea. If we just stop and look around, you provide that Hosea, Lord, that's given us the opportunity to get out of the muck and mire and to, to rise to the occasion that you put in front of us, to, to use those gifts and to excel and, and use them for you and it, to be blessed. Otherwise, the illegitimacy of our relationship, Lord, just continues on with our children and our children's children and the name calling. We thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. I would apologize for going over, but I was having fun. So thank you for letting me have fun at your expense. Um, Wednesday night, I'm looking forward to a good message then too, so just come. Uh, I will not be here, and usually I don't tell you that, but we have a speaker, and I want you to come and support that speaker. So please, if at all possible, come Wednesday night. Uh, I'll just tell you, Ken and I are going to a church that has the same setup and sound and everything that we're looking at for our building, and it's being used by church where we can get a, a feel for what it's going to be like and make sure that's the right one for us. So uh, it's a one Wednesday night, but we're going to take off, and it's a mutual friend of this church too, so we had an invite to come. Uh, love you guys. God bless you, and have a wonderful Sunday.